Well, good morning, church. Merry Christmas. How y'all doing this morning? Good. Oh, good, good. You're awake. All right. So good to see you here. If you're visiting with us this morning, I just want to say welcome. I'm Rachel. I'm the lead pastor here. Whether you're in person or online, we're so glad that you have chosen to worship with us this Christmas Eve morning. We're kind of going to do a little bit of Advent for and a little bit of Christmassy and come back at 7 p.m. for candlelight and communion. It'll be a whole different service. And I hope if you haven't made plans to stay after for our brunch we're going to have it set up right on the other side here. It's all ready to go. We got lunch or brunch from Cracker Barrel coming. And so even if, even if you didn't bring anything, we're going to have plenty. That's just for Daryl because he always talks about having lunch at Cracker Barrel. So I brought it to you, my man. I brought it to you. There you go. Yeah. So glad you guys are here to worship together as a family uh, and to, to celebrate the, the reason that we are here, the king the birth of the king. So before I dismiss our kids, they're going to go upstairs and have a little bit of some Christmas party fun. But before I do that, uh, they helped me the past couple weeks by telling the Christmas story. And so we have a little nativity video to share with you now. So one day Mary was in her um, house at Nazareth and um, she was praying to God and then an angel came up to her and told her that she was going to have the Son of God and she was going to name it Jesus. Before Mary had the baby, angel came to Joseph and said, Joseph, it is time for Mary to have the Son of God and his name is going to be Jesus. So it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger. Because there was no room for them in the inn. So they were trying to find a place to stay, but all the inns were full. So um, the donkey found, um, so they found, um, a stable and it was empty so they found that that place where Mary could have the baby and um, then Mary had the baby there so and it came to pass as the angels left them and went to heaven the shepherds said to each other let us go right now to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And so they went really fast, and they found Mary, Joseph, and the little baby who was laying in the manger. The shepherds were watching the sheep out in the fields when the angel Gabriel came to say there's a newborn king in Bethlehem go there and then they sang glory to God in the heavens um, so the star shines bright in the night and the shepherds follow the star to get to the stables when they saw the star they rejoiced with exceeding great joy when they got to the staples, they saw baby Jesus. The animals and shepherds came to see um, baby Jesus. 
Well done. Thank you, kids, for helping tell the story of Christmas. You did an amazing job. Thank you so much. And now, you all, if you, uh, kindergarten through fifth grade, you are invited now to go on upstairs with Miss Brenna there in the back for your uh, Revolution Kids time. All right. Yeah. So glad you guys are here. Little peeps are already up there, but if there's any little peeps left down here, you're welcome to go upstairs as well. All right, so as I said this morning, uh, we are kind of going to wrap up our, our series of, for this Advent. We've been calling Back to the Future. We've been going back to the prophet Isaiah to revisit the promises made by God to the people of God then and to sort of fast forward a bit uh, to the birth of Jesus and how we understand that these promises have been fulfilled and sort of what we're still waiting on, even on this side of Christmas. And so our passage of scripture this morning comes from Isaiah 9, and I'm going to read that for us this morning. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of darkness on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is the word of God for us, the people of God, and we respond. Thanks be to God. On the side of my refrigerator in our kitchen, I like to hang different announcements that people have sent to us. This time of year, it can be Christmas cards, but throughout the year, it's save the dates for weddings coming up or for birthday parties or the latest school picture for my niece and nephews and also birth announcements. It's like a highlight reel of all of the joy that's going on in my family and friends' lives, and I like to leave it right there on the side of our refrigerator as a reminder almost to say a prayer of thanksgiving for that moment of joy, whatever it is we're looking forward to or celebrating. And throughout the year, I rotate it. You know, I can't keep them all up there, but I rotate it to keep it up to date, especially if it's a wedding or a birthday party, also so I remember, because I'm very forgetful, (laughs) these daily reminders. But the ones that seem to stick are the birth announcements. I just can't take those down. (laughs) Kids that have been born years ago, their birth announcement is still up there on the side of my fridge. Friends from seminary, friends from college. My nephew, who's seven, I still have his. (laughs) There's something about the birth of a new baby that just gives me endless hope and excitement 
for all that is to come. And I just love keeping those birth announcements. Hope springs eternal for this newness of life, I think. So much is ahead of this new life. It's exciting. Our passage of scripture this morning is probably one you remember, at least verses 6 and 7. Right? I maybe had lost you before there, but oh, okay, now here we are. I know 6 and 7. And that piece specifically reads as a birth announcement of sorts. A royal birth. A royal baby, as it were. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. It's a royal baby. It's a really big deal. Not because the birth of any one kid is any more special than another, but because a royal baby will impact a whole lot of people. Y'all remember the media craze that happened over the... Prince George, born in 2013, that was wild. So much excitement, so much media coverage. William and Kate, the next generation, the next king. And it's sort of hard for us to understand, as much as Americans love to follow royal news, I think it's hard for even us to understand, even maybe living in a constitutional monarchy kind of functions a little bit differently than it did many, many years ago in a monarchy But for people who live in this sort of situation, the birth of a royal baby is ensuring their future. You have to sort of imagine it with me. It marks the continuation of a family line, of a rule, of the survival of their kingdom into the future to the next generation. They now know who their ruler will be. So it's a continuation of the people. The birth of a royal baby in this way impacts history. So I have to imagine that is what Israel was thinking when they heard the news from the prophet Isaiah that a new king would come. Because in case you were wondering, this was actually written for a human king, not written as a messianic prophecy then, but to announce the birth of King Hezekiah. I have to imagine this is what they were thinking when they heard the news of the prophet of this royal birth announcement of how God had provided them a new king. Now you say, okay, now you've lost me. So where are we in the story of Israel right now? We've sort of had a little snapshot each week. Where are we? Well, if you remember, I've, I've kind of outlined this, but I've never put it in visual form. The different, there's kind of understand there are three different sections of the book of Isaiah. The prophet had a lot to say. And we divide it up into three different books so we can kind of understand how they're grouped together. In the first section, the prophet warns the southern kingdom of Judah against this looming threat of the Assyrians. In the second book, there's messages of comfort and encouragement to the exiled community in Babylon. That's when the people are in exile. And then book number three is the messages of hope and and warning. But to the people of God, once they've returned back home after the exile... And you're like, I've gone in completely opposite order. And I know, I know. We started in book three, and then we went to two, and then back to three. Now we're in one. So, okay. (laughs) Clears it up, right? Clears mud. But at this juncture, in Isaiah 9, where we are, Assyria is in the process of taking over the world as it was known then. And the northern kingdom of Israel has already fallen. Now, there are two kingdoms. They split. There was a northern and then the southern kingdom of Judah. And the rest of the book of Isaiah is addressing Judah. 
because that, that's Jerusalem, uh, that's the line of David, um, those are the people that were conquered by the Babylons and went into exile. And the northern Israel kingdom, they've already fallen at this point in history to Assyria. And we know this, even kind of verse 2 is addressing the people who are already under Assyrian rule. And how do we know this? Because in verse 1, those different places that we named, those all exist in the northern region, in the northern kingdom. They are addressing the people in the northern kingdom who are walking in this long darkness because they've already fallen under Assyrian domination and control. But it also functions to kind of warn Really, let's be honest, verse 1 of chapter 9 should really be the conclusion of chapter 8. It's very confusing, and I included it today to confuse you further. It should really be the concluding sentence of chapter 8 when this northern king of, uh, of, of Israel is addressed for having kind of played too nice with the king of Assyria, and now they've fallen under his rule. And so then verse 2 kind of shifts and it kind of changes. So these people who have walked in a great darkness and this long darkness. And now this prophet Isaiah addressing the southern kingdom, he's kind of saying, hey, there's a warning because Assyria is going to be coming for you too. It warns the people of Judah of this coming conquest. That they will also join them in this state of darkness when the Babylonians conquer them. And so these verses 2 through 7 are a word of hope for both kingdoms, for the people of God, that a new king will come from the line of David and bring them back together and restore them. Scholar Caroline Lewis says this, Out of the depths of oppression, depression, war, and separation from God, all symbolized by the presence of darkness, comes assurance the promise of a new king, a coronation hymn of sorts, one who will come from the royal Davidic line who will bring light and life and hope to a suffering people. The people believe this was either, scholars believe this was either a birth announcement of King Hezekiah who they believed might do these things or it was a hymn of thanksgiving and praise for how God had worked for the people of Israel in history to bring up this king and it was like a coronation hymn, coronation day. It was a coronation hymn when King Hezekiah was finally crowned. We're not quite sure which way it was used but it's announcing this new king. And they expected and anticipated a release for Israel from the oppression to anticipate a new regime of endless peace with justice and righteousness forever. Those were the hopes and longings of the people. And you can hear it. You can hear it in these names that are addressed that thanks to Handel's Messiah, we have stuck in our head according to a different tune of wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father. You can hear these longings of this new wave of well-being and peace. And the work of Walter Brueggemann, who has written sort of on these names for God, that we kind of reference for God now, he addresses how the people had these grand expectations and hopes for this human king. That he would be a wonderful counselor, exercising extraordinary wisdom with this capacity to administer and execute policy that would benefit everyone. Counselor like a judge, right? That he would function as a mighty God, 
meaning kind of a commander-in-chief, this mighty warrior with uncommon courage and power, the steadfast power to resist every threat and keep his people safe. This king would be like an everlasting father who would provide and defend and protect the whole family and for generations to come, everlasting. That somehow his legacy and his impact would far outlive him to keep his people safe, to defend and protect. And then Prince of Peace, meaning not just the absence of a military threat against any sort of enemy or, or not the absence of any conflict, but it was a sort of wholeness. The word used for peace here is shalom. This kind of well-being of the people or harmony among the people of Israel. Achieving social order and economic prosperity, there would be wholeness and well-being. It's a pretty high expectations for a human king. To be sure, King Hezekiah enacted some great policies, and he withstood the Assyrian army. We can read about him in Isaiah 36 through 39, if you would like. He withstood the Assyrian army. He, he was a good king. And actually in, in 2 Kings, and as they kind of list the different kings throughout the history, he was one that did good. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, just as his ancestor David had done. If you ever read First and 2 Kings, you can't say that about too many of them. <laughs> he was a good one. And yet still, by the end of his tenure... The expectations were deferred because ultimately still the Babylonians were too great of a threat to withstand. By the end of his reign, they were left in a similar situation of disappointment and fear and hopes deferred. High expectations for a human king. Perhaps such high expectations could never have been realized by a human king. Kind of makes me pause and question where I am putting my hope and trust. Is it in leaders and rulers and institutions that wield their power on earth that I think could be on a winning side or could help me personally? Where is my trust and my hope for the future? Tonight, we will celebrate the birth of Jesus. We're still in Advent 4 right now, but tonight, we will celebrate the birth of Jesus. And in the story that the kids helped tell this morning, we get a different kind of royal birth announcement. And it's different because it's not announced in a coronation hymn or from the halls of power or announced by the prophets and kings, so to speak. But it's told by angels to some stinky shepherds keeping watch by their flock that night. By an angel of the Lord that says, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord, for unto you is born 
a savior. And this will be a sign for you. You will find the baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Other than the fact that the whole realm of heaven rejoiced at that moment, before that, it's a pretty quiet, uneventful birth announcement. Nobody knew about it until the angels showed up to the shepherds. This is a long quote, but I appreciate the words of another scholar who says this. Looked at it in, oh, hold on. The sign in both periods, think about this, in ancient Israel and in Roman conquered Israel, they both long for a powerful sign that God will redeem them from oppression. And the birth of a baby seems hardly the great sign they have awaited But looked at in a different way, this sign of new life is not ordinary at all. It is a sign that only the creator God can give. It is a sign promised to Abraham and Sarah. It was the sign that the midwives protected during the Egyptian captivity. It was the sign of God's promise offered to Ahab. What more fitting sign of God's love than the creation of a new life, even in the midst of a broken world? It is no wonder that this baby will be named Jesus, meaning Yahweh saves. God's sign of love for the world is now God's own son, born so the world might be saved. God's sign of love for the world is now God's own son. So tonight, those of us who've been walking in great darkness, looking for hope and peace and love on this earth, maybe sometimes in all the wrong places, we will finally see it tonight. In the light of a star that shines brightly, announcing that hope has come, peace has come, joy has come, and this is a sign of God's love for us. This, war- this Messiah, this Savior, this King, comes not as a mighty warrior king who will dominate and defeat and defend us, but in the birth of a new royal baby, born in a stable to a poor unwed mother in Bethlehem. This baby is important. This baby will change the course of history because this baby will redeem all of creation. This baby will usher in a kingdom of peace and mercy and justice and love that this world has never seen. Finally, the promises of God that we've read about, that we've waited for, the longings of every human heart that have been captured by the prophets throughout all time. Finally, these promises are fulfilled. Isaiah 9 doesn't, wasn't intended as this messianic prophecy at the time. Its subject was a human king. But now through the lens of history from this side of Christmas, looking back, we can see how no human could ever live up to such high expectations. No human king could ever give us such a sense of peace and shalom. No human king could ever give us such wise counsel or such great hope 
finally, God's promises are fulfilled. For unto us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Amen? Thanks be to God. Let's pray. God, we give you thanks for who you are and for the ways that you have continued to work throughout history, to speak throughout the prophets, to meet your people where they are. And to finally, Lord, ultimately come to be with us as one of us in the mess of life. God, we know that too often we put all of our hope and our trust and our dreams in all of the wrong places and in all the wrong people and constantly we're disappointed. Our hopes are slashed. Our hopes are deferred. But God, we just thank you this morning that you continue to love your people in such a way that you meet us where we are and that the promises that you have made for those who are walked, have walked in a long darkness, that we have seen a great light. And so God, we just ask that in the events of the weekend, that this would become sacred space this morning. We could make room as you meet with us again in your promises of love fulfilled. God, that we would see that great light and be at peace. Come, Lord Jesus, we pray and continue to be with us. For you are our wonderful counselor, our mighty God, our everlasting father, and our prince of peace. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Christ our Lord invites to his table all who love him, all who earnestly repent of their sin and who seek now to live at peace with God and with one another. All are welcome at this table of grace. We celebrate an open table here at Revolution Church. So whether it's your first time here or your a thousandth time here, you are welcome to come and encounter the gift of God's grace here for you. I always think it's kind of interesting in the season of Advent and Christmas. We're talking about the birth of Jesus that we still continue to celebrate communion when we remember his death and resurrection. But that's because as a people of Christ, we are a people of story. And every week we gather to tell the story of how God came to be with us, of how this was the the son from the line of David who would save us, our Savior, Messiah. And so part two of that story has to be how he would die for our sins and be resurrected 
to announce his new kingdom that he now invites you to be a part of. We celebrate this every week because I, I think it's important to remember when the noise of the world and all of the powers that be are so loud, we have to remember who we are and whose we are and which kingdom are we really a part of here. We're a part of the kingdom of peace and of mercy and of justice and of love not wielding our power over and against other people, but humbly serving like Jesus showed us. Who didn't count his divinity with God as something to boast about, but emptied himself, humbled himself, took on the form of a human, of a servant, and humbled himself in service to the point of death. And because of that, we have this model of how in his upside-down kingdom, we ought to live our lives. Marked by humility and love and concern for our neighbor. At this table, Jesus gives, we, gives us all that we need to remember what kingdom we're a part of. Because in a simple meal, when he gathered with his friends on that last night, he took a loaf of bread, he gave thanks to God, he broke the bread, and he gave it to his friends who'd been walking with him, learning from him, and said, take and eat. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, when the supper was over, he took a cup, a common cup that they drank from, these were very ordinary elements for them. And he said, drink from this, all of you. This is my cup of salvation that's been given for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you think of it in remembrance of me and remembrance of the new thing that I'm doing by the almighty power of God and remembrance of the new kingdom that I'm ushering in and inviting you to be a part of. A kingdom that will truly give you peace and hope and joy. And so God, we ask that you would pour out your Holy Spirit on us and on these gifts of bread and cup. Would you make them be for us the body and blood of Christ that we may be redeemed by his blood. By your spirit, oh God, would you make us one. Make us one with you, make us one with each other, and make us one in ministry to the ends of the earth until Christ comes in final victory and we can feast at that great heavenly banquet. We love you, Lord, and we pray these things in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. I'd like to invite those who will be serving this morning to come at this time. We celebrate by intention here at Revolution Church, which means you'll be invited to take a piece of the bread, dip it in the cup as a visual reminder of the body and blood of Christ that's been given for you. This is also our time in the service when we respond. And so feel free to have this be whatever time you need it to be. We respond in song. We respond in prayer. We have a prayer rail in the back if you'd like to pray there. If you feel more comfortable in your chair, you're welcome to pray there as well. 
And if you'd like to respond with your own gift to join with the work that God is doing here through Revolution Church, this is the point in our service where we collect a tithe and offering. And you can do so on the buckets on either side of these sort of aisles or online or on our mobile app. If you're visiting with us, I'm so glad you're here. You're invited to take a connect card in the seat back in front of you and fill it out. And you can leave it in the buckets or on the info table out front. And I'd love to connect with you in the weeks to come about ways that you can grow and learn and join with what Revolution is doing. I think that was it. The table is set. You've heard the invitation. Let's be led by the Holy Spirit as we partake this morning.